Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Literally Gaysian. Literally Gaysian. You're listening to Literally Gaysians, a podcast where two gay Asian guys, literally Gaysians. Gaysians. Get real about their feelings and literally gauge and shit. And today we're back, back, back again with another episode on EDC, literally the sequel. Why? Well, there's been a little bit of drama. So in this episode, we're going to dig into the electric gaysian controversy. (laughs) We've invited some new guests, which you'll hear from in a bit. And we can't do this without our guest on the OG EDC episode, Rave Researcher Aiden. Welcome back, Aiden. Yay, welcome back. I am back, back, back again for round two. (laughs) Nice to be back. (laughs) Excited to hear what we have to talk about today. Nice to be back on. And we have a lot to jump into because, girl, all this conversation, why don't you walk us through how people have been reacting from your viewpoint? Yeah, so I think like there has been quite a bit of negative feedback commentary that has arisen because of fan gate and just like the opening of the floodgates when it comes to talking about <laughs> raves and gaysians. Um, But there also has been a lot of positive comments. And for me, like the fact that this is such a popular episode or it was such a popular episode speaks to the fact that this is important to people, that this is important research. And um, I'm mm-hmm. so glad that people are calling me in, even calling me out. Yeah, and, and Fangate is the infamous fanning story at Kinetic Field. We'll get into that later in our thoughts and feelings. <laughs> okay, so it's been a lot. Uh, in one word, how are you feeling about the response? Learning. That would be my one word. So let me oh. bounce back and let me ask Let me ask you guys, how are you guys feeling about it in one word? Surprised. I would say, I, I'm going to cheat. Learning and a little annoyed. <laughs> 
<laughs> learning and annoyed. But we'll dig deeper into those feelings later. But there's kind of like these three main points or conversations that people had about that episode that we're going to dig into. And in this segment, we wanted to bring in the voice of others. So we did. We're going to hear from two other people we interviewed earlier this week. First, let's meet them. So roll the clip. Hey, Tay. Hey, what's up, sis? And so, Tay, how do we know each? How do we all know each other? Uh, well, you guys come to an event I used to organize, uh, mm-hmm. Game Boy SF, as well as now the new iteration, which is uh, Cutie Nightlife for like Rise and like Switch. Um, and so, yeah, I get to know you from like the nightclub spaces. You're a self-proclaimed rave grandpa. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> unfortunately, self-proclaimed fact. She got experience. Uh, 11 years. What can I... Oh, actually, longer. I've gone to 11 EDCs, but I've been raving since oh my God. 2009. So back when, like, EDC uh, used to be in, like, L.A. at the Coliseum. Girl, long time. And did you go this last time? Did you go in May? No. Girl, she was taking a break. But also, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm, like, at, I've gone to 11 now. And now I'm, like, at this point where I'm, like... You're either going to give me a buy 10, get one free coupon, or I'm moving on to like <laughs> other raves. Hi, Martin. How are you doing? What's going on? Thanks for having me on the, uh, the podcast. So how do we know each other? Pretty sure we met on Playa 2019. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think I met Man. That. I think I met you. It must have been at like Carl Cox or something. I feel like it's like exactly <laughs> when, but... It's probably car clocks on like a Thursday night, like at 10 p.m. And you live in New York. Um, how's the apocalypse? Is it worse than yesterday, better than yesterday that your people caused from Canada? <laughs> yeah. So the apocalypse, the apocalypse, as according to the New York Post, um, uh, it's better today. Today's uh, we're recording this on Thursday. And it like yesterday was terrible. So Martin, did you go to EDC this year? Yeah, second time. It was great. I uh, I camped at Camp EDC. We did the RV thing, and uh, it was super convenient. Now you've met Tay and Martin. Let's dive in. So there's three points from last week's episode that generated the most conversation. And the first one is what Aiden shared on the clickiness of it all at EDC. So let's listen to that first. For me, as a younger person going into EDC, what was very shocking for me was like how divided the Gaijin community could be. Like, the SF gays would have their own house party or their own pregame, and then the Seattle gays would do their own thing. It's hard to get into, like, become an insider in the groups. I personally felt very um, alienated and isolated. All right, here's what Tay and Martin had to say on clicks and exclusivity. Uh, let's start off with like the New Yorkation stuff, like right, and like the divisiveness. Um, as like someone who's like now living in New York City, from Nessa, from Orange County in LA, like I get to be Switzerland. I, I can I can claim neutrality here and not have to claim like what gay like group I belong to. But like as someone who's gone like to so many, it's just like um, I I don't think that's true. Um, for for a fact, uh, the way that you have to kind of like think about it is like. If you think about, like, where rave culture is, like, rooted in, a lot of, like, the going to the event is actually rooted in, like, rave families, right? Like, you had, like, this, like, chosen family, similar to, like, the ways that we think about, like, a queer uh, queer family, your chosen family. Like, raves have them, too. And those bonds are, like, what makes your, like, 
your group and like yes like i will go with sometimes most of the times i'll go with like my friends from like sf because like those are like my chosen like friends that i love to like go and be with um and you know that i can schedule things with them and these guys are bonded with me when like i go to like raise but like i'm friends with like so many different groups and like even like in the current day and age there's a council of gays now and so like each person has like a head and we have like a group chat and then like everyone like just coordinates uh like like one like main meetup uh for like the night and then we just go have fun for like the rest of the night and so like i i i get like his point like they're hosting like pre-games in like different places but like you have to understand like these these those people are like their chosen like ray family uh so to speak and that's who like they want to be with like during this time and even at raves so i guess like it's a fine line between chosen family and being cliquish uh and i, I think that's so easy to see yeah there's a certain amount of inertia that comes with um hanging out with people that you're familiar with that you've had existing bonds and friendships with in some cases like decades long and it, it's not um, it's not immediately problematic that like people want to hang out with people they're familiar with, and you know events like EDC are a chance for people to to connect with people they don't live with. You know they don't live in the same city, they haven't you know seen perhaps people moved to different cities, and so inevitably like people just group together in in a way that um, might be exclusionary to to others. But um, I mean, you know over time you know people start making new friends and you know. Hopefully for Aiden, he's just starting out in the scene. He's going to make friends. And, um, you know, next EDC, he'll probably have more options. So what y'all think of this? Aiden? Yeah, so I guess there's a few ways to think about this. Firstly, I just want to preface that um, I still stand by all my comments, like all my experiences, my lived experiences from the previous episode. And as a researcher, I love the fact that I have that stuff on recording um especially because i am new to the scene and there's so much that i am learning from commentary from tay from martin from everyone else um and having that on record my naivete for example in that episode on record that's really powerful and really important to me i'm using that as part of research everything to me is research even if it's a bad experience so i guess to respond to or to just meditate and simmer on what tay and martin have brought up yeah, there were some things that I think I was arrogant about in that um, as a 22-year-old um, in these spaces and with not a lot of people that I know, this inertia of meeting people, I don't know many people in the crowds. Um, I didn't know many people, for example, um, at Kinetic Field. I didn't know many people at the Home Pause and stuff like that. And maybe my defense, and this is talking very honestly about, you know, that kind of... Um, initial like how do you def how do you make yourself feel comfortable in this space and for me my gut reaction is to feel secure in my research to feel like i'm in control of the situation i'm going to go back to my research i know what's going on i claim mastery over something and this is something that academia um is very renowned for being toxic about like claiming to know something when you don't know something and i treat this as an awkward learning experience, but also an important one. So, and then thinking about Ray families and regional Gaijin faction groups, I suppose that that that's something that I've always kind of known, but thinking about how I integrate myself into that social politics um, has always been 
something that I've been curious about. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, how I experienced the social politics as an outsider, as somebody who is younger, as somebody who doesn't come from the same generation as many people, like not to date myself or to date other people, um, but also thinking realistically, I had to work three part-time jobs in order to afford EDC. This is a work of a lot of labor for me. Um, so I did go in with a lot of um, preconceived notions that, oh, I was going to be around folks that could easily afford EDC. Um, so that there's a class issue as well that I have to be aware of. And that that's part of my research as well, thinking about who can afford spaces of pleasure, spaces of play, rave spaces. This is an upper middle class, you know, there could, like, as Martin talked about in their commentary, um, you know, this is capitalism. So, um, and, you know, the consumption of EDC, the consumption of raves is in, um, something to consider. All I'm hearing as a good Chinese boy is that you're trying to get your money's worth. <laughs> yes, but I also think that that led me to, again, talking back to those original, like the original podcast, talking about how I was so like anal about like, you know, going to certain things, having a schedule, being really like time specific, having a schedule for what mm -hmm. I wanted to do at EDC. For me, it was like, I worked my ass off for the, the whole year to come and experience this. And I wanted to do things the right way. And of course, the right way is not the right way for everyone. There is a part of me that's like, oh, it doesn't matter how much I've read. It doesn't matter how much I've researched. There are things that you just don't know until you do it. So I'm so thankful for people like Tay and Martin that have been able to bring that up. And I think that the growing comment has always been, oh, he's going to, he's going to learn about it. He'll learn about it. He'll yeah. learn how to navigate it one day. And you know what? I accept that. Humility. You got more ADCs to come. Yeah, it's a vibe. It's the beauty of being a 22-year-old researching raves at this time in my life, like, you know, starting to open up, being able to financially, to some degree, afford EDC. This is a beautiful position to be in. I embrace it even with his controversies. I think people have a hard time holding two truths up, two truths about one thing. For this thing, it could really be true that, yeah, it, there is an inertia to meeting folks that you've known for years. There's rave families. And it could also be true that for someone on the outside, that can seem very clicky. It can seem very exclusive. It can make you feel really lonely. And so like my comment, and maybe like something to you, Aiden, a uh, comment for you, Aiden, is just that you can view things as a research, but you're also a human being. And you're also viewing through this as the lens of a human being, a person who is 22-year-old going to EDC for the first time. And it's okay to be that person too. It's okay to feel those vulnerable feelings too. Yeah, I think like there's, I wanted to save this for a little bit later, like when I we had like free talking, but I suppose um, this is a great point to bring it up. Um, I am in a very awkward situation, in a very awkward position that I'm kind of learning to mm -hmm. embrace where I am trying to be part of the community. Maybe I am in the community to some people. I'm a researcher, which means I'm observing people. I'm also being critical, you know, like as a researcher, my questions are often why blank? Why this? Why that? Mm -hmm. How this happens? I, th by extension, that means being critical about something. And then also mm -hmm. being a younger individual, being able to see things that I don't think are fair or equitable and, you know, mm -hmm. holding the community to account. I think this put these three kind of positions make, put me in a really awkward situation sometimes. Um, and mm -hmm. that's like, I, I don't know how to explain this kind of awkwardness around it other than 
the Gaijin community for what it's for for its existence, for its controversies, for the way that I have gotten feedback, has given me a lot of hope and a lot of possibility. Um, I have a sheet of paper prepared about my comments about this, but like um, going to my very first rave, um, being able to talk to Gaijin folks that were older than me, successful, and being able to harmonize being queer, being Asian, and being successful is very hopeful to me. Um, so I learn so much from people when I go to raves. So there's that kind of aspect of it. But I also have to be able to hold energy and talk about the things that are problematic in the community. And I won't... There are people that have texted me and there are folks that have commented that maybe, Aiden, you shouldn't be doing research about raves simply because you are young, you don't know the community, and you will never know the community. And to these people, um, resoundingly, I will not shut up. <laughs> um, if anything, the commentary that has developed out of the previous episode the original podcast suggests to me that no, actually, you should continue doing this. Um, and that the fact that there are so many different opinions about this experience, this lived experience that people have, um, means I need to do more research. I need to do more talking. I need to meet more people. And maybe I won't be meeting people from New York, but there's still people to talk to, <laughs> hopefully. And I will just say that you don't have to s separate Aiden the person any of the person who's growing, in the person who's learning, from Aiden the researcher. And that's a very unique position. And every, anytime anyone's in a very unique position with a unique point of view, it's always awkward. And so that's going to be a part of it. There was another thing I wanted to comment about, which was regarding holding energy, holding space for two different experiences and two different things that are going on. I think people are under the misconception that I had a really bad time at EDC. Uh, which is not true. <laughs> I had the time of my life. Um, it was so great. I already had my tickets for 2024. Just because I had one bad experience doesn't invalidate the fun that you had at EDC. Or that you had. Yeah, and I think this is something that people have a hard time grasping because they hold EDC so near and dear to their heart and how as a community, as a Gaijin community, as a rave community, we spend a lot of our year thinking about EDC. And I think, I don't know where to put this in, like into a conversation, but I'll just throw it out there that for me, um, a lot of people think about leaving EDC as going back to reality. And I think of it diametrically differently. For me, it's EDC is reality. And we spend the rest of our time dreaming about EDC, think dreaming about experiencing togetherness, oneness, all these other beautiful things that happen at EDC. We can hold energy at EDC for many things. The fact that people have bad trips because of their experiences with folks at EDC. Um, I have plenty of friends who did have really bad trips on day two and day three, even day one, but that doesn't invalidate the fact that people had a lot of great time. You know, we can also hold space for the fact that people overdose at EDC, um, that there were people who died at EDC or have died at EDC. I haven't had time to look at the hospital records yet for this year's EDC, but needless to say, there were people that overdosed. And there have been people that have died. So we can hold energy for all of that. And it doesn't invalidate the fun that you had. The, the big thing about my acid trip on day two, it was just like, I saw people overdosing. I saw one person break their leg. How, and like, I was like, in my mind for two hours, I didn't speak to anyone because, you know, the magic of acid. But like, <laughs> how do I hold energy for all of this? That this is, somebody out there is having a bad night. 
you know, I could be tripping on Molly the next day and I'm having the best night of my life. Both can exist at the same time. Hold that thought because we're going to get into that in the Be Real. That first point was on the clickiness. And the second point that generated a lot of conversation, probably the most conversation, and you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, Aiden, fan gate. So it was (laughs) the fanning. So for people who are not familiar, when it gets hot at raves or circuit parties, people dance with the fans and they're fanning themselves and in kindness, use it to fan other people and cool off other people. Aiden, your specific fanning story caused the stir. And so we affectionately call it fan gate. The biggest scandal of EDC. Um, so let's hear the story from the last episode. The New York gays, like I was standing behind a bunch of them and they didn't want to talk to me. I was mm. like, I was fanning everybody around me at one point in Kinetic Field and then they would turn away and they just didn't want to talk to me. Mm. So like there's that kind of like alienation and there was like, and it, it's like I was... Not having a good trip at that point, I was starting to spiral into, like, negative thoughts. I was like, why don't they want to hang out with me? Is it because of what I'm wearing? Is it, like, is this something I'm doing wrong? Am I just not attractive? I thought I went to the gym enough. Like, and then, like, it just spiraled into, like, a lot of negative thoughts. But, like, that is to say that there is a superficiality to, like, the Gaijin community. And there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that, but it's just, like, something that, you know, it's there. We have to address All right, so that was the fan story from other listeners. We heard a very wide spectrum of responses. So first, every New York Asian thought we were talking about them, even people who didn't go to EDC and lived in Brooklyn or something. And honestly, some of them made some mean comments about Aiden, and that's not okay. And another listener shared that he experienced the exact same thing at raves and especially in kinetic field with other gays or gaysians when he tried to fan them. So it's a pretty wide spectrum. Uh, we also heard from Tay and Martin on this, and here's what they had to say on Fangate. You also don't know sort of what the other person is is doing, where where his headspace is at, like what you know level of intoxication he's at. So when you're at events like EDC, you can't expect that everyone's going to be you know willing or able to talk to you. Aiden is at a place in his life where um, he's very open to new experiences, very open to meeting new people. Um, and not everyone's on that same path. Like some people just want to go and have fun uh, with their friends and and just like vibe or vibe on their own. Like, I mean, you know, you don't know. Maybe like socializing isn't like the thing to be like uh, doing at like kinetic fields at like God knows what hours uh, mm-hmm. of the night. But I'm just like, girl, at 2 a.m., if I was high off of K, I probably would not be responsive <laughs> either. I was likely in a K-hole or like if I'm like rolling, I'm like just like trying to like throw my energy around and like throw my love to like my boyfriend or like my friends. I'm just like, I love you guys kind of like energy <laughs> to like my group. But like that's directed to it's like them, right? And so like not always will you get like that respe- receptive like response um at raves especially at like that that time of like night deep in kinetic field so all right aiden anything you want to clear up about this particular story right so i guess i'll give a little bit more context um i was talking (laughs) with somebody prior to the day three at edc about um just like whether they wanted to meet up whether they wanted to dance together and they said yes tentatively so then i met with them and then at that point they started rolling and then they pushed me away And then their friends started to crowd around them and then kind of like block them off from me. 
Um, at that at that point, I was with my own rave group, and we were having a great time. So I was fanning. That day three was the night that I was sober, aside from taking Adderall. So I was just I was fanning, folks. I was making sure all my friends that were rolling were being taken care of. I brought like snacks and like you know Vicks inhaler. I was I was in rave dad mode. So I was fanning everybody else as well. And um, when I started fanning um, the the individual that didn't want to dance with me, um, their group kind of blocked them off and kind of like pushed our group away. And at that point, I felt bad vibes. Thinking back to the comments that I've been given about Fangate, one of the comments that somebody brought up was, why do you find it so important to yourself that you are desired or that you're wanted by these people if they don't want to hang out with you? I, again, claim naivete. I claim my immaturity here. Also claim my own emotions and feelings um, and just say that, yeah, I, I do want to be wanted. You know, every that that's a very human experience. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, we all want to be desired. We all want to be seen. We all want to be wanted. And um, this is no, like, especially as queer people, I think this is quite a universal experience. So I, I don't see an issue. Like, I, I don't see a fundamental issue with this. We all have been there to say that we, like, are above our emotions, I think would be to be non-academic, to be not a good researcher. How I do my research I use two main research methods. I use ethnography, which for those that are not familiar with academic research, means that I'm watching and observing the group that I'm researching. So in this case, it would be observing Gaysians at raves. Another component of my research and my research methods is autoethnography, participating as a person in research, in this in said research group. So um, for me, that means being authentic or being my Gaijin self in a Gaijin space. So yes, that involves embodying my feelings. That involves embodying the emotions that I feel, whether that's wanting to be desired, being horny even, or being um, you know, frustrated, sad, and documenting all of that in a very real way, which is why I tend to note take a lot at raves and you know these research methods have led me to like becoming a more well-rounded individual outside of research so i think going back to your comments bao i do see the human aiden as growing alongside the researcher and i think that's a very beautiful thing that i have the opportunity to do but yeah that's basically my commentary on fangate it all started with a fan and it wasn't even about <laughs> fan, fan clacking, to be honest. Um, my favorite thing about this is that your fangate story is about your one-on-one interaction. And everyone was so pressed that they thought it was about them. Which is... <laughs> yes. Like, so how many people were all these listeners, like, you know, just being assholes to? <laughs> like, I, will, I will say at this point, though... Um, and I really, really like this, like, I, I'm not apologizing for my lived experiences. I want to be very clear about that. But I do apologize for my naivete in the moment because I forgot, dumb as I was, that people were probably drugged at 2 a.m. in the morning. They were high as shit. And you know what? They're probably nonverbal. They cannot communicate their thoughts and feelings clearly. And as the sober person in, that, in the space, I should have known better than to take it seriously. Um, and that might be just me as a researcher taking everything seriously. Um, but that is something that I did want to bring up that Tay illuminated so clearly that, you know, I, I was being a little bit too arrogant or maybe too ambitious in thinking that 
mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. were going to be on the same wavelength as me. And that seems to be a reoccurring theme with me in EDC, thinking that everybody wants to enjoy it the same way I do. This is a lot of self-centered thinking that I need to break past. I think that's always the hope, though. We can always hope for that to happen. Because if, if everyone was just to, like, let go of that, like, you might not run into those fun, serendipitous moments. That's true. But I think just being true, like, being as honest to myself as possible, I think that, like, nobody needs to, like, nobody is obligated to get to know me. Nobody's obligated to speak to me. Nobody's obligated to even want to dance or interact with me any scenario just not even in a rave but like you're not obligated to know me outside of this podcast if you don't want to listen if you don't want to listen you can stop now if you don't want to you know follow me on instagram if you don't want to interact with me at all you don't have to and i think i need to be honest about that and i need to be very realistic that to myself that you know i can't expect that from other people to pass on some generational wisdom we've we've learned this through the years you unfortunately had to get the learning back from a very from a popular podcast or episode but at some point you do double down on how you actually really enjoy things because there's going to be this natural way you enjoy things you're going to run into people thinking everyone believes the same thing and then they're gonna you're gonna get a lot of signals whether that's cool or not and then you're going to turn back. You're going to like eventually end up back there. Like, well, I'm going to enjoy it the way I want to enjoy it. Fuck these people. I'll say hi to them, but fuck these people. They're not going to enjoy it. They like trash music. And I'm going to do my own thing. And and I found the group of people that likes to do the things that I like to do. And I can negotiate whether to go to something I don't like because I want to support a friend who always goes to something that I do like. So it's a learning you learned like really publicly, but it's something that we've all learned. Yeah. And I think that like, it's cool that, I learned it in a public way because now it's on record. And now, you know, maybe another baby gay will figure out not to do to make my same mistakes. Or even if they make the same mistakes, oh my God, that's a beautiful thing to like. Mistakes are not something to be upset about. Mistakes mm-hmm. are like, I think the the one thing that I will say is that when people hear about my experiences at a rave, their knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that doesn't con- like that's not congruent with my own experiences. So that must be wrong. Um, Mm. so I will say on that front that like we all as this is part of human psychology and famous TikToker Chris Zoe has talked about this very recently (laughs) on one of his TikToks but like it's human psychology to have a knee-jerk reaction to an opposing opinion and to lean into our own opinions and become you know that's why the right tends to go even further right when they hear something from the political left right Um, so it's our knee-jerk reaction to fall back on something and it's very hard to break past that and you know what a wonderful opportunity it is to like have that documented to be able to respond to that on a podcast and you know maybe show people what what that looks like mm, yeah amen chris what's the what's the last and third point okay last one is i love talking about is a rave bay culture so let's listen to that when like when the whole bunch of gays were in kinetic field, you see them not really dancing. You see them mostly eyeing each other down. And they're looking at each other, trying to make an assessment on who's going to be a fitting partner for tonight. Who am I going to make out with? And mm-hmm. the politics behind that of who is recognized, who is disposed of, I think is also part of my research as well. Thinking about those kind of the politics within the subculture. The rave bays, do's and don'ts. Yeah, and also thinking about how so many folks have thought conventionally of rave bays as like part of the checklist for EDC. 
or part of a rave, right? You got to find a rave bay to make out with under the fireworks. Oh my God, it's going to be like <laughs> peak core memory shit. Mm-hmm. And when we think of it as a win or lose situation that you've won when you have a rape and when you've lost, when you haven't had one and that you failed the EDC experience, that's when it becomes very harmful and toxic. And I myself fall into that fallacy as well. So people were actually really relating to this rave bay vibe on Sunday night, Aiden, that you're describing. One person commented on TikTok, this is how I felt too at Kinetic. And then someone else DM'd us, Totally feeling the same. I tried to avoid the big gay crowd. It was more enjoyable just with our small crew. Yeah, and I got DMs too about this. And Tan Martin had some thoughts on rave bay culture too. So let's hear from them. I think he was like talking about like eyeing down like people who's going to be like your fitting partner being like a part of like rave like culture. I'm just like, no, I think that's a different problem. I think you have to like really decouple yeah. like what are the behaviors that were like kind of brought because like uh, the popularity with like some of the gays, especially like some of like the circuit behavior, right? I think there's a lot of like uh, over the years I've seen like circuit behavior being like brought into uh, EDC. And I just like, I think I have to decouple those two because like, from like my time frame, right? It's just like when you think about like a rave bay, it was like something that was like serendipitous. It was just like it happened mm-hmm. like there, and I just like fell for someone. I've had a handful of like different like rave bays I've like met at like different uh, massives, and um, all of them were not like oh we're going to like plan and like be like uh, to meet and be like rave bays. No, it was just like you were like dancing, have a good time, and then like your eyes like locked and like something magical happens and mm-hmm. like that's how how like it needs to be and now I, I i get his point about like now it's like this like some sort of like checklist of like sorts uh in this mm-hmm. like generation but i can't say like it's like attributed to like rave culture it may be like behavior that might be fitting from like other groups like coming to like the raves so mm-hmm. new, uh, gays, new, gay, new gays new gays new gays yeah i mean i i um I started raving when I was like 15. I went to like raves on like commercial drive in Vancouver, uh, these like random warehouses. And I remember like, like at the time, like finding these people to cuddle with all night on the bleachers or on the benches. And it was like beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I have like very deep, you know, bonds with some of these people still. Also it's like maybe extension of, of that like circuit behavior coming into like the rave culture, rave world where, you know, there's an objective, right? People have an objective that night, you know, it's, it's not, it's like, let's like find the, the find someone to, to, to hold all night. Let's like find the, you know, the cutest, most whatever person. It kind of distracts some people from like having fun. This episode brought to bear a lot of issues that I, I've been thinking about. That's the toxicity of the gay party scene. Mm-hmm. There is this overemphasis on you know, height and attractiveness and, you know, fitness, wealth, like masculinity, power, influence, all these things are, are so important. And, you know, as a bisexual man, I also spent a lot of time in the straight world and it's just not, um, it's not, the primacy is not on those things necessarily and they're weighted differently, but mm-hmm. it is, it is so hyper-focused on these things in the, in the, in the gay party scene that it can be very damaging to people, um, in different ways. So yeah, again, a wide spectrum of responses and differing opinions. Any thoughts on on what they said? I think it's just the same thing with the last two points, that other experiences can exist around one topic, and we can make space for all of them. But though I see that as a truth, it feels a little awkward for me to say that because I just, I realized 
that being kind of the only Gaijin podcast that's live right now, when we re- include one viewpoint or one story, in this case it was Aiden's, then people feel as if it should represent them because there's so little representation, if that makes any sense. So say like when Crazy Rich Asians came out, and I'm just not saying like our podcast is Crazy Rich Asians or that I'm not, I'm not de- that delusional, but when it came out, so, you know, a lot of people were like, well, this is great that it came out, representation mattered, but the others like, that doesn't speak to my experience. It's super classist. It's super East Asian. It's very um, light skin focused. Because it was the only movie that came out like that, it had that burden of representation. And so I, when going through these points, just really think about like that burden or the responsibility of representation. And maybe we wouldn't be in this controversy if I invited another guest with Aiden on. If I had invited maybe Tay and Martin with Aiden on. And so it could show that these view different viewpoints, different experiences at ADC could exist at once. But that is just to say there should be more representation in the podcasting space. And I also just felt like the joy of EDC, that like rave bay culture, the abs, everything was pretty well represented on Instagram. Like if you were on Instagram, like those last two weeks, I thought it was pretty well documented what the joys of EDC were from the people who were enjoying it. And so what we wanted to do with the podcast was show uh, a very different point of view, which is fresh, unbiased perspective at someone coming to EDC for the first time, and also from an interesting academic uh, perspective. And I think we did that. But because not a lot of people share that perspective, they were expecting the episode to also represent what they were going through. Yeah, and I wholeheartedly like feel and vibe with that. And I completely understand like where people are coming from, too, that like they expected maybe potentially for me to like sing praises about EDC. Um, But like, and like, I think people already see that a lot. Like if you were on Instagram for the past two weeks, all you saw was rave content from like the Gaijans. And like, it was so interesting to me being able to talk to my friends who didn't go to EDC and are not ravers about how the gay Asian community just circulates around raves and how they feel like outsiders. And for a lot of them, being able to balance what they saw online with my own commentary about it was very productive for them. Um, I won't say for, I won't speak for anybody's opinions or for their own experiences, but I will say that it was very productive for people. Um, so that's great. Um, and for me, like being able to read comments um, from folks and having people DM me, um, yeah, and, and usually it was like, it was usually folks, like folks that would DM me were usually folks that were like, oh yeah, I felt like this at EDC. It gave me a bad trip that night. Um, I don't think I'm going to go to EDC next year or for a few years going forward because I just don't like the social politics of this event um, as it is right now. I spiritually resonate with these people. Um, and like, I, it makes me feel more empowered to continue writing, researching, and addressing the biggest issues in our community. So... Tackling this big, like, there are three things that I feel like came out of the original podcast, which is first, the racism or the colorism that exists within the Gaijin community. And I think I might get hot water on this, but it doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter what I say at this point. I feel like somebody's going to have an opinion, especially when it's a researcher, you know, researching something. Um, But, you know, interrogating this term Asian uh, sorry, interrogating this term Gaijin because it really only means East and Southeast Asian folks. Um, 
a lot of um, my South Asian friends and like brown friends, they don't see themselves represented with that term. So yeah, um, and we've gotten a lot of comments on that too. Yeah, we're, we're working um, on it, but we got a lot of comments yeah, on that. Yeah, but too. it's also like for for me when like my friends, like my South Asian friends and my brown friends, tell me this. Um, for me, it's something that I try desperately to to like address in my research, and I think the only way I can see this as being addressed is as a form of like queer of color critique or as like a as part of like a larger like selectiveness in like the Gaijin community another issue would be classism thinking about like you know as I've talked about before that like raves are expensive and that only you know the rich and wealthy can afford to go and like throw down money for raves let alone the other things that go along with raves like outfits drugs and all these other components right like a bag of k is a hundred dollars usd like it's pricey um, oh, that's, that's a cheap that's the cheap one that's a good deal oh that's okay a as deal. a broke college student i'm like girl that's too expensive <laughs> running um, m- market price is 120 oh is it okay because like i don't I, I i don't do k i've never MSRP. done k but interesting good to know yeah. and then also this last component of ageism um you know it doesn't matter how much reading i do how much i i research something and like know about something and prepare for a rave i will always be behind people in lived experiences and i there's only so much reading i can do so much video watching so much reddit reading i can do that will make up for lost time quite literally um having people message me saying like, oh, it's your first EDC, you don't know anything. I've been going to EDC since 2009, back when it was in LA. And it's like, well, I can't compete with that. And that's maybe, that's not the point of competing with them. That's that's not the objective here. It really isn't the point, Aiden. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to stop you there. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say to these people, that should be a call to invite you and anyone else in those shoes to return, come back, do more, see more. Like it, it just why uh, I feel like those folks should, you know, take a diff- uh, take a different perspective on that. Like, well, I guess it's time for him to see even more, to experience more, so he can write more about it. And yeah, and, Aiden, and then- I don't think I don't think it's lost time either. You have so much opportunity for time. Lost time would be something like me and, like and me. don't you would say <laughs> you have an opportunity for lived experience. You know, mm. that's and I think that's it's an opportunity, not something that people are using condescendingly against you. Yeah. Some people are, some people yeah, are, yeah. but it's like an it's an invitation. It's an opportunity for you to have these lived experiences. Sure, you can't have them all right now, but there's such an opportunity for you to have it in the next. 10, 20 years, right? And I realize now that I have rambled beyond the original comment, which is about rape base. So I'm going to return to that. I was about to say, let's go back to rape base. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to go back to that. And like, I think Tay talked about how like it wasn't part of rape culture to begin with. And that like I have taken a negative experience because circuit culture has kind of injected itself into rape culture. And I think that, yes, there's, there's like, you know, it, it's really wonderful to hear that this wasn't always the case. But I need to confront the fact that as a 22-year-old at a, like coming into the rave scene, this is what I'm entering. And this is something I now need to address. It wasn't like this before, but it's now something that we need to contend with. And this is mm-hmm. now... And, and of course, maybe my comments are naive. Um, you know, thinking about... And like I, I think like I did a podcast with a friend about this a few years ago, and I look back now with some like c- 
cringe, to be honest, because I wrote about, like, I, I talked on that podcast about, like, how dating for me as a 20-year-old, or no, as a 19-year-old at the time, felt a lot like marketing and, like, having the right photos, having the right lighting and doing, having the right bio. I felt like it was a lot of marketing. And I look back now and I'm like, uh, that was probably just me being 19 and just, like, being angry at, like, being rejected 10 times in first-year university. But... Maybe I will look back at this, like at that original podcast episode and at my own naivete around Rafe Bay culture, thinking about this like as win or lose and that it's important to people. Maybe it isn't important. Maybe to me as a 22 year old, it was important, but I don't know. Or maybe I think it's important for people. Yeah, I think the controversy was, again, like the New York people thinking you were talking about all of them. Yeah, you weren't. So let's let's all be careful about like Ray Bay culture is like the main story of EDC because it's not because I do think you and Tay and you've listened to the Tay clips you and Tay do share the opinion that it's changing that he is seeing circuit behavior and and Martin just you you just heard from the clip talked about the toxicity. And so it's just an invitation for nuance on the topic. Yeah, 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 for sure. And yeah, like, and I think a lot of my thoughts around rave bay culture came about like from seeing friends at local raves in Vancouver or like raves in general where they didn't find someone and then they ended up having a bad trip. Or like, and so like for me, it was like, oh, like they, this, this was such a big deal to them that it ruined their trip. And that somewhere psychologically that this is important to some people. It might not be important to everyone, but it is important to some people and enough that we should address it. You know, what's funny is that, you know, we're talking about this in the framework of like Gaysians or gays at raves, but like watching TikTok and talking to some of my straight friends who go to the raves, they be looking for, you know, that next hot, cute girl um, to, to like make out with, to have like that rave base. I don't think it's relegated to just us it's something new to raving in general we just have our own variations of it yeah and our own versions of toxic um behavior around it yeah and i wonder like and maybe this isn't for me to solve at this point in my life but like i've been reading a lot about the right to sex the right to desire the right to love um and there's a wonderful book on it it's called the right to sex please like it's a great book it's a a bunch of a bunch of wonderful essays really but um why are we so scared about saying that we want someone why are we so scared to say that we want love right um instead of like it, it is something that's at face value is a very human need mm-hmm. and it's not just a gay thing it's an everybody thing um you know um yeah and i but will are we say it's not too much though I maybe mean, some a, people <laughs> Maybe, but then also, I I don't know where this where I'm going with this, but like certainly like, you know, late stage capitalism in a world where like, you know, dating apps kind of rule the world and like we are feeling a lot lonely and it's also post-COVID, let's keep this in mind, that people want intimacy. People want to connect suddenly. There's an explosion of that going on. Um, I'm right. down for that. I understand. I think people are much more sensitive about their loneliness that they, including myself, will try harder. Being sensitive to loneliness, but then also being open to saying that, yeah, I I, I do want love. I I do want these things. I want, I think is also important. Like saying those words, um, at least for me, I think that's important. And I think that's something that I tried to, I accidentally omitted 
um, in my own commentary on the previous episode. Like, yes, I did intend and I did want to dance with somebody. And that it's didn't happen. It's the auto-ethnography. <laughs> auto-ethnography, again. But I, like, last comment about this rave-based situation. Again, I want to be clear that I still stand by my lived experiences and what I said in that original podcast. <laughs> the only thing I will say, though, is in trying to be diplomatic and trying not to name the said group and individual that I had a negative experience with, and being on a live podcast, like, I just haphazardly just said, oh, the New York gays. And then um, I started Fangate. It's crazy how like a sentence can change things. And I apologize to anybody who misinterpreted that. I'm sure you're all fantastic people. Um, But I'm also completely aware that this might have ruined some of the social, like I might have a more difficult time next year at EDC, for example, or at another rave event or in any interaction with New York (laughs) Asians potentially because of just social politics. And I'm okay with that. Um, I accept that as part of being a public figure. Um, Academia is hard as it is. Um, I've been, you know, I've been to conferences where I presented something in front of 80 people. One person stands up and then calls shit on my work. And you just have to learn and deal with it. Learning to deal with hate isn't just... Um, a podcast or a Gaijin thing. It's an academic thing. It's a life thing. So I have tough skin. I'll live. And you know what? The gays have like, okay, maybe this is too violent of a term to say, or like, this is too testy, but like, you know, I'm sure we're all just going to get into a K-hole and then forget this all happened. You know, it's, it'll be fine. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, a lot of thoughts, a lot of reactions... Let's shift this to focus on the reality of how it all made us feel, even though we've talked a lot about how it's made us feel already, because it's time to be real. Part of the podcast where we get real about whatever's on our hearts, minds, and rave gloves. Aiden, as our guest, I know you've probably said a lot of the points that you want to get across in your be real in any case, but why don't you go first? Yeah, so I've talked a lot about how, like, I still stand by a lot of my original comments in the original podcast, but I will apologize for one thing, and that is 
saying that Cascade is a trans artist. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Literally me being delusional. Um, so many people have called me out on that. And I think the comedy, like, yes, there's comedy around that, but also um, thinking about, like, the way that people have, you know, used that as leverage against me. Like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he got confused that Cascade was a trans artist. Um, and, like, you know, the using that as, like, oh, therefore he must be a really lax or a really shitty researcher. That's something that I don't agree with, like... That that's just shows that I'm a 22-year-old researcher, that I'm naive. Um, but that doesn't show anything else. Um, but it shows so, that we're all transphobic. <laughs> yes, maybe I'm maybe I'm transphobic, but um yeah, and maybe I should be canceled for that. I don't know. Um somebody convinced me otherwise. Hey, Bal, how about you? My be real is gonna be about you, Aiden. Because I, I've said it to you before, but I personally just want to say sorry for... I think you're in a good place now, but for kind of everything you went through, reading those comments and getting all that negativity in the past week after the episode came out. Because I feel immensely guilty because it because you came on the podcast. The pod, This is the most successful episode of the podcast ever. It really put us on the map. And I hate that we benefited at your expense. I think you're in a good place now, but I just want to say sorry because we just didn't know it was going to be this big of a topic um obviously there's things that i would have done differently but yeah i just want to say i'm sorry oh no 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 like there's nothing to be sorry about like everything had to happen in order for this follow-up episode to happen for all the commentary that i've learned all the things that i've learned from comments that people have um sent me um either anonymously or um through dms like it's made me a better researcher. It's given me so much more to work with. And I, I'm still open, like, you know, um, yeah, like, I, I, I really do feel like we've done something really interesting here where we've had a conversation about raves and Gaijin culture. And it's opened the floodgates for, like, a serious conversation about what that is and what those experiences look like for different people. Yeah, this this episode and all the it, topics it brought up definitely started a lot of conversation that I think people weren't having and before. It also, yeah, and it also connects to like all the other wonderful episodes you have about home pause, about relationships, about everything else, right? About violence against trans folks, violence against drag queens. All of this is also puzzled into a larger conversation about Gaijin culture. So yeah. I find that, you know, if this is people's catalyst into thinking about these things critically, it doesn't matter how much hate I've gotten. I think, like, this is really productive. I love that positive spin on all this. I think you have to be, because, like, I'm in my cancel era right now. So, like, <laughs> you, know. you know, and one other thing I want to bring up for you, Aiden, is that I think we all just really appreciate just how smart and thoughtful and brave and, like, you've doubled down on the courage um, through all of this. And sometimes I feel like you view everything through the lens of your age. Like, for example, when, when I bring up, I can't believe he's 22 and he's this smart or provoking, people aren't doing that in placing you on some hierarchy. They're relating to when they were 22 and really not as smart. And 22 and really not as thoughtful. And so that's why they're impressed. Not like, I didn't expect anything from this 22-year-old, which is why I'm impressed. I think most people are thinking this. And I feel like you may take it as a... Everyone just thinks I'm young and discounting my my opinions because of that. 
And I really don't think that's the case. It's more related to admiration and how people relate to how they like were feeling when they were 22. Um, and I, I mentioned this for earlier in, ter- in terms of like this idea of lived experience that you don't have is an opportunity, not a judgment on your age. Especially for me, especially when we would talk to Martin, especially for Doncha, my be real is that I invite you to let go let go of this idea that everyone's judging you for your age. There's going to be very, very true, valid moments when people are doing that, for sure, for sure. But I think maybe with time, you'll step into the fact that your voice really is very unique and it matters and people are impressed by your age, not limiting you by it. Yeah, it might be me just like... Yeah, being a little bit too hyper-focused on age and like seeing age as a deficit. Like I've... In, in preparation for this podcast, like, I've spent every single day jotting down some notes and, like, I've gone through so many iterations of how I want to respond <laughs> to this, to, like, to mm-hmm. the original podcast. It first started off as being, like, and I think, again, going back to, like, those ideas of human psychology and knee-jerk reactions, like, you know, oh, my God, why is everybody giving me so much hate? And, like, I responded with a lot of anger. No, actually, that's not true. I responded with a lot of apologizing because of Mm -hmm. this idea of age. I was like, shit, I have to apologize because I don't want to ruin my social future as a gay Asian person on account of my experiences. I was worried that, like, if, for example, I had gone to New York for for a PhD program, or if I'd gone to Toronto or some other big Gaijin mecca, that, like, people would not want to talk to me that people would see me as a bad gay. So I was very, like, my original... I had, like, a 2,000-word, like, <laughs> apology letter written out. Like, I was prepared yeah, to you back showed down. Us. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I was ready to back down on everything. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the first iteration of my thoughts. And then the second one was a little bit more pensive. It was a little bit more thinking about, like, I see everything as ageism. The comments being placed towards me would not be done to anybody else, in my mind, at that time. And I think that mm-hmm. still stands for certainly a few things that I've talked about. And then now I'm at a happy medium where I'm like, okay, let's just absorb everything and let's generate and let's be like, let's show some re- um, like um, reciprocity with like what people have been saying because that's valid as well. I can invalidate other people. That's that would be a get, that would be terrible research, but like or being a terrible person in general. How people experience EDC. That is so important to me. And like having done, my, like I am doing research on raves. I have accounts of like 70 queer folks, queer Asian folks that have talked to me about, you know, their experiences at raves, how raves have empowered them, have disempowered them, have made them feel trapped, sometimes upset. I have all these emotions that people have given to me. I need to also, I guess, share those with and share space with those. In generosity. Yeah, because then this next, and my, my last part of Be Real is not a Be Real, it's a beef. It's for all the haters, all the people who are fighting for exclusion of Aiden in New York, saying that he should not go to any Asian events at EDC, basically blacklisted in New York. Those are very few people. I think a lot of people will welcome you to New York. But to those people who are saying that shit, fucking get a life. Yeah. We are not in high school. We're grown, we're grown ass men. Y'all are grown ass men. Learn how to communicate disagreement or resolve conflict calmly. 
or just gossip quietly um, behind our backs like the rest of us. <laughs> it's the Gaijin way. Be the mean girls. It's not so, working. Don't be the problem. I, I hope, so you people, I hope when you reach the gates of heaven, you see Martin Luther King Jr. on the panel deciding if you're going to get in. And he looks you straight in the face, straight in the eye and says, you're a little fucking shit. So... <laughs> You are literally on the side of inequality. Congrats. Die on that sinking ship. And that's the end of my rant. <laughs> she had a lot of feelings about that. She was being real. Y'all grown-ass men in your 30s, just shut the fuck up. Do something I, else. Like, I think there was a point in my thought process behind, like, the the comments around the the original podcast where I was just thinking, like, okay, a bunch of, like, successful, rich Asian men are upset at the opinions of a broke ass 22 like college student is really what it was and I was like I didn't realize I could make people so press honestly like the power but also like just (laughs) thinking about the fact that people do have such a visceral reaction to that shows that there is something here that's interesting and there's something at stake here yeah yeah. and if we can just put all that energy into lawmakers (laughs) who are trying to take away trans or gay rights i think we'd be in better shape anyway okay that that's that's my be real chris time for you to be real oh my god it's like i I feel like like a lot of my feelings have been kind of communicated by both of you like but i think what my takeaway from these last two has been um, surprised at how big it is. And I just thought it was going to be like, oh, we're going to talk about EDC. It's so fun. Just like very superficially and um, not understanding uh, how, how important it is to people. And what it made me feel was irrelevant. <laughs> it made me feel older and on the outside and I don't know, really know what to do with that feeling yet. That's 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 how this is how I'm feeling now. I don't have to resolve it, but it's that's the emotions that it evoked in me. I think the outsider, the unknown, is valuable because not a lot of people who listen to I mean, a lot of people who listen to this podcast have not been in EDC, maybe have no desire to, and to see it through an outsider's perspective or a newcomer's perspective is valuable because you're able to talk about things as if they're new. Yes, it could have been balanced with the veterans' point of view, but it's, again, what I get back to of the burden of representation or the responsibility of representation when it's the one viewpoint on a bigger platform that's being communicated. Everyone expects it to represent them. Yeah. And I think, and But I, I still think it's important. Yeah, and I think also the funnest part about this is that doing this pod, it's not that say you and me are the experts in everything we are learning about it too at the same time that's why we bring guests we talk shit and my favorite thing about this is all we get to talk shit to and about each other i was getting comments from folks saying like oh you shouldn't be talking on a podcast nobody should be talking publicly about what happens at raves at home pods and engagement events and i have heard that too Uh and like to those people my commentary is in line with what chris you've talked about that you were surprised at you know how something so fun could be so heated and the the truth of the matter is fun is political fun is social politics who gets to have fun why do they get to have fun and who does not get to have fun so thinking about for example you know people saying to me you shouldn't talk about a home pa well why shouldn't i talk about a home pa um you know 
the I, I should be talking about like the politics around a HomePod to be to be honest. You know, the yeah. fact that you have to send in your Instagram account, that there's a vetting process that sometimes, well, some HomePods, I shouldn't say for all. I've been to like a few now that are kind of open. It's fantastic. But there are some that are very closed, right? Mm-hmm. Who gets to, you know, and who who are we excluding? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I to those people who say that, oh, you should not talk about these things. If anything, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about it more. Um, that's just, I, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> oh, I think and you can unfollow point. me or you can like trash me online, but that's just what I'm going to continue doing. I, I think there was a point in which those things were true back when they were all underground. Yes. But EDC, HomePods, those are all run by corporate things now. These are no longer mm. the underground things and where they were born from. Same with the circuit party. They were used to be underground uh, fundraisers for um, HIV prevention and education. Now they're just um, bacchanals and with, with $10 drinks. And that's what it's grown yeah. into. And people yeah. talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I will say HomePods are still pretty underground. Yeah. Um, but We're privileged in this sense. Yeah, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's still underground. Um, but, I mean, EDCs, they spend tens of millions of dollars on marketing. I think, I think once an event takes credit cards, you're no longer called underground. There's still, like, some, like, underground parties at, at LA, like, taking credit cards. And I'm like, at that point, no, girl. Yeah, and I do want to tie this, like, very briefly back to, like, you know, commentary about, like, like that I talked about in the in the previous episode of the podcast, thinking about like the history of raves, you know, the Chicago underground house scene. Raves were a space for queer folks to be free, to be who they who they wanted to be, to dance with who they wanted to dance with, to be in love, to find happiness, all these things. Now, when we think about where it's gone now, and as you guys have talked about, you know. Once you put in a credit card account, once you pay for that layaway <laughs> for EDC, you have to recognize that it's no longer underground and that it's not a private thing. It's not like a secret thing. We can't forget that people probably still had some of these feelings at those first ones too. Like they were probably not perfect, like magical moments in everyone's lives there. People were going through it then too. But like, um, you know, when people are saying like, oh, EDC is still kind of like it's secret or like home pods are still kind of fooling yourselves. Like, to be frank, like, I don't think I've been to enough home pods. Like, I'm not saying that I want to go to more. Like, I don't know where I stand on that. Um, <laughs> I, they, they're, they're very stressful for me. Like, um, as I talked about in like previous in the previous podcast, like there is like there's a lot of social politics that I'm not. Uh, I'm still learning. And the same goes for raves. Like, I think, like, going back to that rave bay thing, somebody commented to me, like, they just said, well, you probably weren't getting a lot of attention during, like, the the fan gate situation because you were dressed differently than everyone else. Everyone else was wearing, like, circuit gear, and I was dressed as Tom Nook. So maybe this is a me problem, you know? Like, in, in thinking about, like, inviting and, like, in thinking about, like, wanting to be seen, like, you know, maybe wearing a Tom Nook outfit wasn't 
the vibe. At some point, you will need to negotiate your need for authenticity versus your need for connection. And sometimes you'll be like, well, fuck the connection. This looks great. The right person who knows this is going to find me. And other times you'll be like, well, I just want to be palatable to all tastes. So I'm just going to be very basic today and wear a booty short. I guess they let everyone in. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And here I am feeling irrelevant, looking up who Tom Nook is. Fucking oh, animal. Same. Awesome. I'm just going to just <laughs> nod and try to agree that I know what that is. Um, <laughs> The one thing I want to say about HomePods is, look, there's gonna, there's already been a movie made about HomePods in Singapore. There's another movie being made. Hi. And another point is, like, two HomePod hosts have asked to be on this podcast. <laughs> like, and I think, like, for, <laughs> no, and I think, like, probably for good reason, because they heard my commentary on HomePods and they're like, actually, we have a different perspective. No, this and is like, before. This is this is after we oh, did our okay. HomePod And I was episode. like, that's so zesty. I would love to hear that. Thank you all for these Be Reels. Again, I want to hold space for us to think critically about the things we actually enjoy. We actually enjoy EDC. We actually enjoy gay partying. But it's okay to talk shit and think critically about some of the things that happen that don't vibe with you. But in the spirit of holding space, let's hold space for things that we loved or our favorite memory about EDC. Chris, why don't you share what your favorite memory from EDC is? I still remember it being like four in the morning on the last day sunday and you know daybreak is about to happen and all of the intoxication just kind of slowed down time for me all i could see was just the people dancing around me and it was in slow motion. It was the weirdest thing. It was the first time I'd ever felt like that. Seeing all my friends uh, just moving slowly, having a good time. And I remember that was one of the first times I thought in my life, if I died right now, I'd be very happy because this is a really uh-huh. like beautiful time. And as the young folks say, it was a very core memory. And so much that, so that I think about it frequently and that I uh, stupidly tried to recreate it so many times in my life. I've known to uh, get past that now and just appreciate it for what it was then and look back on it fondly. I loved that moment. It was at my first one with you, about in 2013. And I still like have this image burned into my head of everyone around me. And it was great. It was great. Um, and that's my same core memory. And I think it was when it was like 2013, 2012 or something like that, 2013. And Calvin Harris set. And Calvin Harris was new-ish, new-ish to the pop scene, right? His 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 like hit song started like being hits on like top on like the on top 40. And I think he was he dropped feels so close. And I think we all just felt it together. And I think it was a combination of just like us being together bonding we had become like a new group of like friends mm-hmm. in those like last three years and a pill that was on the market at the time called white pumas the glitter <laughs> ones the, the glitter ones the white puma era the white puma moon rock era so i do think it's a combination of the three that really made that situation or that that moment just like such core peak memory and a uh, peak core memory sorry and my biggest joy from EDC is like when we came back, I think you took some of that feeling and you made this video. And I, it's so weird that you say that the Calvin Harris uh, feels so close to you song was so big because not knowing anything about the music, I made this 
cute little video, and that was one of the background tracks in it. And I'm very proud of it. I was, and we we watch it. Was it the one that you sent me? Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's so cute. And it's it was video editing before reels and TikTok. So like Chris was actually in Final Cut Pro, putting all his oh like God. iPhone three. <laughs> iPhone iPhone 4 videos together and it's so hilarious and so we're going to include a link to that video in the episode notes and so you can check out the video because we finally get a place to share all of it (laughs) so I will always have just amazing memories of EDC um, and when I miss it I will look at that video Aiden what's your favorite memory from EDC I've only been to one Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it was day one of EDC and I was tripping on acid. I had like a really bad start to my trip because I had seen people OD. I saw somebody break their leg and I was like, this is a lot. Oh <laughs> um, but then my friends wanted to meet up to see Set the Sky at Cosmic Meadow. And we've got like the perfect seats on the bleachers. We were just sitting down, relaxing, looking at the lights. Um, we're smack in the middle, like dead set center of the stage. We got a perfect view. And then the fireworks started going off. Set the Sky was playing Rush Over Me. And then it started raining. And I just felt like a white girl in a Pantene commercial. <laughs> just like, oh my God. Just like, oh, it was so good. Like, I don't, that, that shit go, runs in my mind all the time. It was good. And then like, you turn around and you see your friends and they're also tripping balls. And like, their pupils are so dilated. And you're just like... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and it's just like, as kooky as that sounds, I'm pretty sure we look like insane people, but like, it was so much fun. And it started raining harder and then people were like running away and we were just sitting there like, vibes. What is it about the fireworks? So it always makes me like, ugh. It's like, yeah, and then so like when you're on acid and like the rain touches your skin and you're just like, oh, it's great. Like, like Natasha Benningfield. <laughs> Dated reference. Okay, sorry. Uh, I got you. No, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, justice for her career. Well, we have actually one more fun segment to close out the episode. But before we do that, we want to thank you, Aiden. Thank you so much for coming on again, especially doing it after everything you've been through. Again, complete admiration and respect for how thoughtful you've been. So thank you. No, thank you so much for having me again. All right. Bye, Aiden. Thank you. Before we close, we talked about so much fucking drama that we wanted to play a fun little game. So here it goes. So, so one of the things we cut out, Tay, from, um, because we didn't have time, was we were going to play this game called Rave or Rotten. So we bring up a topic and you let us know whether you think it is in the spirit of a rave or if it's rotting the rave culture. <laughs> oh, wait. I kind of love this. All right, let's go. <laughs> should, we, should we do it? Should we do yeah, it? Yeah, let's do it. I'm down. Okay. I'm down. Let's do it. So, so, Tay, first one, rave or rotten matching group costumes? Okay, to each their own, <laughs> but I will tell you this. As someone who's gone to, like, so many of these, I slowly became like less inclined to do like outfits because like at the end of the day it's like are you fucking comfortable are you i mm-hmm. used to be one of those people who like wear a tutu and then i get like caught on someone i'm like 
this is not it all right uh, i need to be in comfortable shoes and they want me to wear like these like these like colored shoes that they bought as like a group i'm like no I, now i'm like i will minimally meet like the theme i think like on saturdays it's always like pink saturdays and pokemon saturday you can find me literally wearing a pink like thing and like a t-shirt and like all right i'm good <laughs> i'm pink but i'm not doing the extra like 10 miles the whole pokemon thing i wear like a pokemon candy perler i'm like all right i'm good this is my <laughs> the experience of speaking very loudly yes uh rotted uh, uh uh but do you is what i would say <laughs> so martin rave or rotten matching group costumes great i think to an extent right i think that um it's fun it like it's gonna happen inevitably because you have people that like want to dress up um i think it also right going back to sort of the idea that it can be a good thing and a bad thing at the same time like it, it is exclusionary like i um sometimes you see like you know you see the a group of people doing it, you're like oh why isn't that person doing it? It's like, uh, did they do something wrong? <laughs> and, and it's just like that kind of shit. That's like, it's just like, it's like high school stuff, right? Is that what you think when you see one person not in the group not dressed up in that? Well, maybe when the you, Amazon we, order just didn't come. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, it, but, but it's like, it's like even thinking about it, spending time on like, ooh, like why didn't that person get included? It's like that kind of stuff is like, who the fuck cares? Like, um, um. It, but I do think that like for a friends group having costumes is like is nice and it's like a a nice way to bond and it like adds to the um you know festivity of of edc and other it's not for Um, others it's for you and your friends exactly yeah i will do the group costume if someone else is in charge of it and i've had friends in the past who've been amazing at being in charge of the group costumes and i will do it if it's sort of like the bridesmaid's dress like not everyone should wear the same dress, but maybe give like a color and everyone Themes. can choose to do it in ways that are flattering to them. Cause I'm like, right. my friend with an eight pack, of course looks great in this costume. Then like all of us are just spilling out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, gonna... for... yeah, no, I totally hear that. And like when I, um, when I did group costumes for white party, like um, I sent it to like a really big group, right? Because I like wanted everyone to feel like they could participate if they wanted to. Um, and we gave options. Like it was like, a couple LA guys and me. And like, we like thought about like, who, would people look good in this costume in different body shapes and stuff. So we thought about that stuff and then we sent it to the, com- to the community and like very few people did it. <laughs> and so it was like, <laughs> it was just like us and our closest friends, but Hey, like it went out there. It went like, and they had the choice. They just, well, also, yeah. let us not forget, we went on a cruise together, and oh, you yeah. and I <laughs> spent hours, like, setting up group costumes. All right, yeah, I'm terrible at it. You're so much better at it than me. <laughs> Rave or rotten, Gaijin dance circles. So, you know, like, when people, <laughs> have you gone to, like, a circuit party or, like, yes. white party? Uh-huh. And then, like, they, uh-huh. like I think people, it's, like, I, I think it's people who, like, slowly getting comfortable like touching people who they're attracted to and they like just get into like this little circle and they hold each other just like this side to side and then like suddenly the circle gets bigger and bigger and they just they're just swaying side to side no talking just swaying rotted if you are doing it and you're just like building i think like in the gay sense it's rotted in the rave culture that's actually something that's really normal like i I can, uh, we had this experience actually at Tomorrowland and it's like Alessio's playing and he's like playing his like uh, uh, 
his song and we're just like all holding each other but we're all like singing to it and that is like really core peak memory for sure and so like that should stay but like just do it for the fuck of it just like holding each other uh, i don't know <laughs> rotting <laughs> rave or rotten uh gaijin dance circles that's a hard one i think it has to be you know if i had to on a balance of sort of like it has to be it has to tip into the rave right because and i say that because i think it's a cultural thing you know when i went to white party and I saw that everyone was doing it, you know, like if you, you know, people uh, in Asia, if they find someone that's attractive uh, or want, they want to get to know. And I know that's like, there's problematic in some ways, but like, they like lock them up, right. They lock them up, lock them up with their friends. And then they like, just like do that for like five to 10 to 20 minutes. So like, obviously as a North American, like it's kind of weird, right. Cause like, it's uh, like, why would you be like just dancing in a circle, um, by yourselves, right? You know, you, we're used to just a different way of interacting here. Um, but I don't want to shit on it as well, like, because it's like, if if that's what they're used to doing in places that they come from, then like, who am I to say that it's not um, not valuable, not legitimate? Yeah, and you know what? I noticed that it happens more in LA parties um, and in Bangkok, but not in like San Francisco or New York at all. Yeah, like I so, nev- you see I it at EBC. Never, never seen it in New York. I've been in New York for almost a decade. I've never seen it. <laughs> Not at a home pa, like not at a club. Rave or rotten? GHB at raves. Oh, okay. First of all, <laughs> GH. Okay, you, again. You've said it all in that gro- groan already. <laughs> To each their own, I will say because like raves, uh, especially EDC, are so lengthy, like dosing and like doing the work to continuously like dose, like on the hour, it's like it's so much work. And it's just like, and that's assuming that you hear the alarm too, for that matter. And it's just like, Mm. uh, it is a lot of work. And sometimes if you do like overdose as well, it's not really a great experience. And especially not a great experience if you're like in kinetic field and you just like need to like balance kinetic field. Uh, So like in a sense, like is it responsible Uh, and fun? No, if you do it, yeah, sure, teach their own for, like, their choices. But um, my personal experience is not the best. <laughs> All right, Marn, rave or rotten, Pokemon everything. <sighs> Man, I just <laughs> like to, um, I'm on a, also on a balance, right, would, would come out as rave, right? Because I, it's not my style, it's not what I like, but, like, if you want to Pokemon everything, then go Pokemon everything. Like, it, it's if it's in, if it's your vibe then do it like find what works for you and and for me it's like if it doesn't affect people it doesn't harm people then like i have no issue with it like you dressing as pikachu and holding a, a, a charmander and like dancing beside me doesn't make me feel any less happy than and like i'm happy for you that you found that so i would say probably like rave is something i would do personally no but like all the power to them okay okay i have a new one Okay. <laughs> that we're all um, probably guilty of. Rave or rotten gatekeeping EDC culture. Oh. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm like rave dad. So like for me, I'm just like very open about like the rave culture and like you do you and whatever floats your like rubber ducky. But like I'm not going to like gatekeep you. I might be a little bit of a trans elitist when it comes to, like the music uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and my music choices. But like 
EDC is one of those places, just do whatever you, the fuck you want. As long as you make it to the end of the night meetup, like, party however you want to. <laughs> I'm not nice. going to gatekeep you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's probably a wrap for now on EDC until... The next EDC. Um, <laughs> maybe we should all go next year so we can start the drama firsthand. Bow. I'm gonna toxically obsess over finding a rave bay. One, probably break up a couple. Two, call Calvin Harris a hardstyle DJ. Three, and lastly, fan everyone who hates us. <laughs> and while you're here listening to us rate and review us on spotify and apple Podcasts, we hear that goes a long way uh we want to know what you think and get more people to listen to us to trash talk each other and speaking of trash talk do you want a relationship advice from two geriatric millennials like chris and, and myself send in an audio or text question to Instagram at literallygaysians and we'll feature it in a future episode. And once again, to reiterate after all of this, in case you forgot, with peace, peace, love, love, with unity, unity, with respect, respect, and with responsibility, responsibility, Bye, babies. Thank you. Bye. Follow Literary Occasions on Instagram and TikTok. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.